the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. The events written about in the book were eyewitness accounts that Luke researched and wrote down for all to see. We have seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, causing the blind to see, and the lame to walk. Jesus went out teaching the kingdom of God, calling all men to repent. The scribes and Pharisees hated him and wanted him dead. Last we saw, a Roman centurion asked for Jesus to come and heal one of his servants that had fallen gravely ill. While Jesus was still walking up, the centurion met him on the road. What the centurion tells Jesus next is mind-blowing. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 7, verse 8. He says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto you, so instead just say a word, and my servant will be healed. In doing that, he lays everything on the line, doesn't he? Because what if Jesus is offended now? Oh, I'm not good enough to come to your house? Oh, you say, you say you're not good enough? I know how this is. I mean, you know how people can be sometimes. I, I have paid people compliments and they thought I was insulting them. I've had people who've left the church because I said something nice about them and they thought I was being you know, sarcastic or by saying something nice about them that I was saying, you know, saying oh, you've got nice things. You know, you, you've got too many good things you know, or something like that. You look really nice today. You know, oh, oh so I, my dress is too nice. You know? Can't win for losing, you know? And if Jesus is a proud man, he would be offended by this. So he lays everything on the line with his honesty here. He says, but, and that word but is the strongest contrast you can use in the Greek language, completely opposite of his original request. He says, you speak the word and my servant can be healed. I know, I know. While humility is where things begin, it must lead to faith for it to be fruitful. You could sit there and go, well, I, 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 I'm a bad person, or I, 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 I don't, I'm not good enough for God, but if you just stay there, you're not going to be saved either. It has to lead to faith for it to be fruitful. And so this man, he doesn't just go cry in a corner when he realizes he doesn't deserve the honor of Jesus' presence. He doesn't go out and hang himself like Judas did. When Judas realized what he'd done, he didn't repent. He went out and hung himself. See, he places all of his hope not in how he could convince Jesus to do something for him or make Jesus feel like he was worthy enough to do something for him. He places all of his hope in what he's heard about Jesus, that Jesus was a good man, that Jesus cared about people, and that Jesus was powerful enough to heal those who were suffering. Why would the centurion think that Jesus could just say a word and make it happen? Well, if Jesus was who he'd heard about, then why not? He says, listen, 
I understand how things work. I am also a man set under authority. The, the word there means to have your life set in place by someone else. This man never chose his roles. He never chose where he served. He operated under those with greater jurisdiction all the time in his life. But he also had men who operated under him. And he says, I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I know how this works. If you're really who you say you are, and I believe you are, then I know you can just say the word, and it can be done. We don't know this guy's name. We don't know anything else about this guy. But he sounds like a cool dude. Simple humility and simple faith. Now, when Jesus sees this, he hears this, His reaction is priceless because you don't see Jesus react like this very often. Verse nine, and when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. The word marveled means to be amazed, to be astonished. Webster's defines both those words as being surprised or being impressed. It's very rare to see something surprise Jesus. It's even more rare to see something impress Jesus. And yet that's how Jesus reacted to this when he heard it from this guy. So much so that Jesus now turns to the leaders of Capernaum and whatever disciples are with him to explain why. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and then he turned around and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, nope, not in all Israel. For many in Israel, their faith was in themselves. Jesus was the magic genie for Rome or for sickness or whatever problem they had, but they trusted in their own righteousness because they kept the law or simply because they were Jewish. So for Jesus to say this about a Gentile, (laughs) no matter how nice he'd been to Jews, was a mic drop moment. I mean, for him to go, "I I haven't met anybody with as great faith as this, boom. I mean, boom. I mean, everybody's... It was offensive, you know, it it was true, but it was definitely offensive to everybody there. Now, why was this man's faith so great? Because faith turns away from self and looks with confidence to the one who is greater. And that's exactly what the centurion did in every way. The centurion's hope wasn't that he'd be good enough for Jesus to help him. His hope was in Jesus's worth alone. And he'd laid every hope for his servant's recovery in that basket. Every egg was in that basket. You know, so often we try to make ourselves worthy before God, but the truth is Jesus counts us of great worth already, not because of anything we've done, not because we've earned anything from him, but because he's decided to set his love upon us. Now, do you realize that? Or are you consistently trying to earn the right for God to do something good for you? Somehow trying to measure up that God can actually bless you in some way or God can somehow love you because of how good you've been. When we do marital or premarital counseling with couples, we say, hey, you know, why do you love this person? And you hear all sorts of wonderful things. Well, he treats me really nice or, you know, she's, you know, she's really kind to me or, you know, she's just the best of friends, you know. And those are all great things and nothing to take away from that. I'm, you know, it's probably what attracted you to them in the first place. But can I share with you something very important? That's not love. The very nature of love means it has nothing to do with them. Do you understand what you stepped into when you said, I do? When you said, I do, you stepped into a relationship with someone where you said, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life, despite who you are, not because of who you are. That's what you did when you said, I do. 
Now, if you're going, oh, me, (laughs) it's okay, (laughs) because Jesus can help. But that's what love is. The Lord didn't look down and go, oh, man, Will is such a winner. You know, for I so love Will, I'm going to, you know, send my son, because he's such a winner. Not at all. He said, this guy needs my help. (laughs) And I love him, so I'm not going to leave him where he is. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to send my son to die for him. That's love. And if you're constantly trying to earn the right for God to do good things, then you're going to miss out on a lot of blessings because God doesn't work like that. He never works like that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talking about his own life, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Paul wasn't able to do the task at hand. Jesus enabled him. And why? Because he was so good? No, for that he counted me faithful. Paul showed up and, and the Lord looked at him and said, he goes, I'm gonna empower you to do this job. And you know why? Because I'm gonna make you faithful. I'm sorry, Lord. I thought, you know, I'm supposed to like interview with you and you know, share my strengths. And you know, one of my strengths is I'm a, I'm a very faithful guy. And the Lord goes, no, no, no you're not a faithful guy, Paul. You're, you're a full, full on loser. No, but I'm gonna make you faithful. I'm gonna put you in the ministry. Who was before not faithful, but a blasphemer and a persecutor. I was injurious, means insolent, just prideful, rude. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And so the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, which actually is their faithfulness, and love, which is in Christ Jesus. See, God's abounding grace, his unearned favor, it comes wrapped up in God's love and faithfulness toward us. Isn't that cool? God's favor comes towards you because it's wrapped up, not in my faithfulness, but his faithfulness and his love. See, God acts this way towards me because it's who he is. It's how he's decided to be toward me. And all three, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, they're independent of my behavior. Isn't that awesome? I want to read you something Charles Spurgeon said. He said, after Paul was saved, he became a foremost saint. The Lord did not allot him a second-class place in the church. He had been the leading sinner. Later in that verse, he talks about how he was the chief of sinners. He had been the leading sinner, but his Lord did not therefore say, I save you, but I shall always remember your wickedness to your disadvantage. You You never get shotgun, Paul. Not so, Spurgeon says. He counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry and into the apostleship so that he was not a whit behind the very chief of the apostles. Brother, Spurgeon says, brother, there is no reason why if you have gone very far in sin, you should not go equally far in usefulness. Wow. (laughs) That's grace, you know. That is love. That is God's faithfulness. And it's true. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus says to the centurion friends, but Matthew does. He says, go on home. Your your servant's healed. And so in verse 10 here of Luke chapter 7, it says, and they that were sent, they returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. The word there whole means completely healthy. So Jesus didn't just cure the paralysis that was killing him or ease his suffering. He made it so the man had zero health problems whatsoever. He took everything away. So he did even more than the centurion asked for. So that was situation number one. Situation number two, verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain 
and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now, Nain is a village on one of the mountain ridges on the north side of the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon. It's about six miles southeast of Nazareth. It's a good walk from Capernaum, so this is definitely Jesus' destination. Now, the word Nain, it means pleasant, and most likely because of the beautiful view you have of the valley from the city there on the mountainside. But what met Jesus as he approached the city wasn't pleasant at all. For it says in verse 12, now when he came near to the gate of the city, it says, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. Now, you can still visit the tombs there among the rocky mountainside uh, outside the city of Nain today. Um, this was the last stage, therefore, before the man's burial, his story done, his story over. But his wasn't the only story here, for it mentions that in front there went his mother. It says, they came near, and behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So while there was great pain for the mother, uh, you know, in this, she was a woman who had experienced great pain. She had lost her husband sometime earlier. She was a widow at this point. And she was now facing the reality of the other side of burying her son, destitution. She had no one to be the breadwinner now. And ladies, you couldn't just go out and get a job back then. It's not how it worked. Her future was begging or prostitution unless someone took her in, which back then again was very rare. We see that there are many people with her, so this may include professional mourners, but either way, it does show that she had some support from her neighbors, and yet Jesus feels more than a desire to support her when he sees her. Look at verse 13. Now, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now, again, Luke doesn't use his personal name. He doesn't say when Jesus saw her. He says when the Lord saw her. He uses his title. God in the flesh, the one who's in charge of everything. God in the flesh, when he saw her, he had compassion on her. Now, the phrase there, it means to experience great affection for someone. And it's a passive verb. Which means this wasn't just Jesus seeing, you know, the man, seeing, a, you know, Jesus as a man seeing a fellow Jew in pain. This was the heart of God Almighty being moved by her pain. You know, sometimes God is painted as callous or stoic. And some even seek to defend the idea that God is who he is and he remains unaffected by us because to experience something like that would make him less than God. That is a very logical idea, but it is not biblical. It is not scriptural at all. Look at Jeremiah from our scripture reading. Look at Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 16 through 21. Jeremiah 31. Verse 15, the Lord makes a, a comment there about how Rachel, his people, are weeping because of the judgment he's brought upon them. But look at what the Lord says. In verse 16 of Jeremiah 31, he says, Refrain your voice from weeping. Stop crying. That's what Jesus is going to say to this woman in just a moment. Stop crying. Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from, steer, from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. What work? They hadn't done any good works. They'd just been judged. And there shall come again from the land of the enemy. You know, your, your, your children, they're not going to end there in Babylon. They're going to come back into the land. There is hope in your end, says the Lord, that your children shall come again to your own border. Why? What work had he seen? No good work. Verse 18. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. I've heard him saying this. What were they saying? 
Lord, you have chastised me. You've judged us. You've disciplined us. And I was chastised. I was like a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. You know, you tried to get, yoke me in and tried to get me to do the job. And I was like, kick in. I'm not doing this. I want to go do what I want. That's who I was, Lord. You disciplined me. So, Lord, turn me back. If you, if you will rescue me. There's a, the work they did was just crying out. You know, there are those who would say that, you know, well, if you, if you say faith comes from us and it doesn't come from God, then even faith is a work. Well, then fine, I'll agree with you because that's what the scripture says. That's what Jesus says. They asked him, he said, what, what work shall we do that we might be saved? And he goes, believe on him and be sent. So if you want to call it a work, Jesus did. You want to call it a work? So did Jeremiah. But that's what the Bible teaches. Faith isn't something that, that comes from God in the sense that he gives it to some and doesn't give it to others. Bible says he's given to every man the measure of faith. If we choose to exercise it, we humble ourselves, we cry out to him, he responds. Turn thou me and I shall be turned, for you are the Lord my God. And surely after that I was turned. The Lord says I was turned. I rep- I'm sorry, I mean, sorry, no, the, surely after that I, w- I was turned. The Lord did show mercy. The Lord did call them back, and so I repented. And after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed at my stubborn behavior, yea, even confounded because I did bear the reproach of my youth. In other words, repentance. They cried out to the Lord in repentance and faith and humility. And what did the Lord do? He says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? He was because of his humility, but not because of anything good about him. For since I spoke against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled. I spoke against him. I brought judgment, but my bowels were moved. My heart was broken. So I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. And that's what happens here. This woman didn't deserve anything from the Lord. You know, our pain, our suffering, our repentance, our obedience, our love for God, they can indeed touch his heart. So God is not afar off, nor has he removed himself from us. To the contrary, he loved us so much that he became a man to minister to us in our pain and then to die for the very sins that brought about our own judgment. You know, when our heart is touched, we might feel something, but it doesn't necessarily mean we'll do something or can do something, but... God is not that way. And so when Jesus, when his heart is touched, when God in the flesh, his heart is touched, he had compassion on her and he said unto her, he followed through. And he says, stop crying. Same thing Jeremiah said, stop crying. Why? Well, he came and he touched the buyer. Jesus, you know, similar to his fear knots, you know, there was much to make her sad, but Jesus says, I'm gonna fix all that. You don't need to be sad anymore. And so Jesus came and he touched, it says, the buyer. The buyer is just a stretcher they, were, they would carry bodies on. They didn't use coffins back then. And so he touched the buyer. And so those that bear him, the pallbearers, they stood still. They stopped walking. And he turned to the dead young man there. And he said, young man, I say unto you, arise. <laughs> and he that was dead sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus delivered him, brought him to his mother. Can you imagine how this woman's day was turned around like that? I mean... I don't know if you've ever experienced a turnaround like that before, but I mean, this is pretty big. But here's an important truth about the situation we might overlook. This woman did nothing, never asked anything of Jesus. The act of resurrection was initiated by Jesus because his heart was moved with great affection for her. That was it. That was it. See, so often the enemy tells us that God isn't for us or that God can't work in our situation because we don't deserve it. Truth is, I'll never deserve it. I'll never be worthy 
God's help has nothing to do with my worth. It's about humbling myself and falling on his mercy because I believe his heart is toward me. That he can do anything, even in spite of me. (laughs) That he loves me just as I am, even when he wants to change who I am. Isn't that awesome? Now, we don't have mom's reaction, but we do have the people's reaction. It says there came a fear on all, a powerful, profound awe and respect for God upon all, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us and that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. A great and important prophet is, has come to visit us. God himself has come to visit us. God is, the word there visited means to be present to help, to come near to rescue. And as a result, that phrase, that word that God was close started to spread everywhere. Now, only three people that have ever come back from the dead in Israel's history, all by the hand of Elijah or Elijah, two of Israel's greatest prophets. So this isn't just a statement that Jesus is a really cool prophet. This is the word that Jesus is the prophet. This is the news that's spreading, the Messiah. He is the prophet, the promised Messiah of Israel. And yet, they don't even realize the significance of their words because they say that God himself has visited his people. But they just thought it was, well, through this prophet, you know, God's using the prophet. But the truth was God was really visiting his people, wasn't he? Jesus, God in the flesh, was here because Jesus, the Messiah, is God. See, that's why we call him the Lord Jesus Christ. We call him the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the boss, he's God, he's our creator. Yes, he became flesh, he took on a human body and he lived and walked amongst us. And he is the Messiah, that's his mission. But he's the Lord Jesus Christ because he's God. So, as we close out this morning, who deserved God's help? That's the title of the message. Who's worthy enough to get God's help? Nobody. God gives help because he wants to. Because his heart is moved by the trouble we're in. And so maybe you're here this morning and maybe you need the Lord's help. Maybe you're even in need of a resurrection or a miracle of a different sort. Maybe you don't, don't even know how to start asking. Maybe like this woman, you, you might see Jesus, might know who, who he is, but you can't even think to ask because the pain is everywhere. Whatever your situation this morning, start by trusting that he loves you. Stop trusting in your own goodness. Stop trusting that you could ever earn the right to ask him for something and trust that his heart is moved when you trust him, that he wants to help. Amen? Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. I would ask you, are you better than the centurion here? I mean, this sounds like a pretty good guy. I mean, he was generous. He donated his own money to help them build a synagogue. And these aren't even his own people. So he's not just generous to people that like him or love him. He's generous to people who hate the Roman occupation. And they they aren't just Judeans who hate the Roman occupation. These are Galileans who fight because, you know, with the Romans all the time. This is a man who had care for his servant, a man that he didn't owe him anything, but he considered him a friend, a valued person. This is a good guy. Are you more worthy than the centurion because he wasn't worthy. And even if you were, that wouldn't be good enough because God's standard is perfection. That's what God's standard is. And we all fall short. So I'd ask you this morning, you know, have you declared that you're not worthy? Have you you said, I'm not even worthy for you to come visit me, Jesus. I'm not worthy to go visit you. The idea that I would go to heaven and go, yeah, I think God will let me in because I'm a good person. 
That's rubbish. Have you declared I'm not worthy like the centurion did? Because that's the faith that God's looking for. That's the faith that brings salvation. As the worship team comes up, we're gonna close in prayer. And when we do, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to exercise that faith, to make that choice, to give your life to the Lord. And I wanna encourage you, if you don't know him today, today's the day to make that choice. Let's all stand. Lord, you know where each and every one of us is at this morning. You know what our needs are. Lord, you know that there may be some of us here, Lord, we need a miracle right now. Maybe, maybe it's someone we love who's sick, Lord, or maybe, maybe it's a financial burden. Maybe it's a, a marriage problem, Lord. Maybe it's a, a relationship with a child that's, that's broken right now. Lord, I don't know. Maybe someone lost a job or maybe they, they're on their last nickel. Lord, you know what, what we're going through. And we don't come to you and say, oh, Lord, help us because we've been so good. I came to church today or I did this. Lord, we come because we need you. We just desperately need you. And would you have compassion on us, Lord? Would you have compassion on everyone who's praying right now and saying, Lord, you, you know what I need. Will you help me? Lord, I pray that your heart would be touched and moved and that you meet every need that's here this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, turn us. <laughs> thank you for turning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God longs to bless all men. In the creation scene, Genesis chapter 1, we see the first thing God does to man is bless them. He desires to bless us, but that will only happen when we humble ourselves and draw near to Him. He promises to bless us with more of His presence, more of His peace, more of His life-changing power that will mold us more in His image. This is where love and blessing are found. God is so good. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.